Hello and welcome to That Band Life. I'm Jeff Young, a teacher from Carmel, Indiana. And I'm Bobby Lambert, director of bands at Wando High School in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. That Band Life, a podcast about making our careers as music educators more fulfilling so we can be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. Before we begin, I want to tell you about the marching band shop we have at Dynamic Marching. This podcast is coming to you ad-free. One way you can support us is by visiting our website, shop.dynamicmarching.com, and purchasing products through our store at some of the most discounted prices on the web. On everything from shoes, to rifles, to megavoxes, to gloves, whatever you need. I know that many times you just continue to order your products from the same people every year, but if you look at our prices, you might change your mind. This week, we're going to be talking to the one and only Greg Bim. For those of you who don't know, I had the pleasure to work with Greg for 13 years at Marion Catholic as my first job out of grad school. It was a degree in and to itself. Uh, just to look at his bio is pretty incredible. Uh, he's been the director of bands at Marion Catholic High School since 1977. Under his direction, the Marion Band has grown from 70 to over 280 members, has earned over 600 awards and honors, and has become one of the premier high school band programs in the United States. His history with Bands of America dates back to 1981 when the Marian Catholic Marching Band came to the BOA Summer Workshop, now the Summer Symposium, to serve as the lab band. Directors enrolled in the director's workshops uh, observed marching tech teaching theory and practice with the workshop faculty and the Marian Catholic Band. Since then, the Marian Catholic Bands are among the most honored in BOA history. Marion has been named the BOA Grand National Champion seven times and has won the Grand National Champion title three consecutive years. The Marion Catholic Symphonic Band was one of only eight bands invited to perform at the first ever National Concert Band Festival in 1982 held at Northwestern University and has performed again in 1995 and 98. In 1994, Greg was elected to membership in the prestigious American Bandmasters Association. Mr. Bim holds degrees from Illinois State and Western Illinois Universities. His professional affiliations include ABA, ASBDA, IMEA, NAFME, NCBA, NBA, Phi Beta Mu, and Phi Mu Alpha. He served on the Illinois High School Association Music Advisory Committee and has served as band division chairman of District 1 and state equipment manager for IMEA, of which I know he's particularly proud. In constant demand, Mr. Bim has performed as conductor, clinician, adjudicator, drill writer, or music arranger throughout the United States and Canada. Thanks for being with us, Greg. Sure. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, this is a, a special treat for me, especially because I know uh, m several of these answers, and I think that people who listen are going to find some of them surprising. They're going to find some of them uh, rewarding. And I think most of all, they're going to find that Greg Bim is about the most down-to-earth guy you could ever meet. <laughs> there is no pomp and circumstance. Uh, and I won't get into some of those stories that really show that too well, but I wanted to start with, uh, you know, your family history and your journey to becoming a band director is fascinating. Uh, is there a favorite part of that that you'd like to share or you think that maybe people would be surprised at, at knowing about? Well, I, I don't know about surprised, but it was sort of um, preordained that I would be a band person. My father played the trumpet. He's from a, a small farm town in Illinois, Wyanette, Illinois. And um, he was um, a player in the, the band there and, and was the, the town bugler as he got older. 
And his father before him was the town musician as well. Grandpa Charlie could play pretty much anything. And so from uh, the time band started when I was in fifth grade, my dad practiced with me. I think that the, um, the most important thing about that, it was the way that he showed such support for me. He worked incredible long hours. Um, four, he, um, during the week, I, I won't get into the, the whole story of that, but some of the days he worked from nine to nine. And on those days, he made it, <clears throat> he had a half an hour to come home for dinner. And so um, I would practice with him for that half hour. He'd eat dinner and I'd practice next to him and he'd help me. And then when he got home at nine o'clock, we would sit from nine until 10 and practice another hour. So from the time I picked my horn up as a fifth grader, we practiced an hour and a half together. And, you know, for a little guy, that's one thing. But, you know, in retrospect, now looking back at my dad and how many hours he was working um, and thinking about what sacrifice it meant for him to come home after after a full 12 hour day and still want to spend an hour with me. Um, that was one of the things I, I'm, I'm sure that that was what one helped me to be successful because we were practicing and he was he was such a good guide. Um, but just feeling the support from him every day was was really, really special. Um, I laugh because I hear myself. Um, saying his words, um, which they're really simple words, do it again. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've said that for, for all the 45 years that I've been teaching. And uh, I just laugh inside myself when I do that, because he had a rule that we, that we live by. If you, if you made a mistake, you had to play it right twice. And so every time you made a mistake, it sort of doubled up. And so um, you, it really led to mastering whatever we were working on. So I am, I'm forever grateful. He, I guess one other thing too is, is um, he had a real, he was not highly trained. The band program in, in the little town didn't have a lot of training, um, but he loved to play. And so he figured things out on his own. He, the way he described scales to me and taught, you know, by the time I was finished with fifth grade, I could play all 12 major scales. Um, and the way that he taught them to me was just through sheer logic. This, this is this way because it works this way. And, um, and so it was, um, from that, from that first year, from fifth grade on, I just knew I wanted to be a band director and I've never swayed from that. That has been my, my single goal. Um, it clarified when I got to high school, um, I had two wonderful directors in high school, Chris Izzo and Mel Pontius and, um, in La at LaSalle Peru Township High School. And it was there that I realized that I didn't want to just be a band director. I wanted to be a high school band director. And that's um, the dream that I've been living for all these years. That's such a great story, Greg. I, I can remember sitting in my dad's office with him playing his trombone and, and, and just, you know, from earliest ages, I can remember how cool I thought that was. And, and my dad as well uh, really encouraged me to practice. And I, I heard a lot of my story and your story there. You know, no, no, none of us came from band director families, uh, but the importance of seeing of your kids seeing you play and really engage in music is pretty powerful to me. And just listening to these stories, well, I, I think we, it's really easy to underestimate the the importance of uh, the support of parents. I had a, a freshman this year who has been struggling a bit, and, and for our spring concert, he came in and. Uh, um, at the, well, just before the concert and, and asked, now, what time will the concert be over? My mom needs to know what time to pick me up. 
And it broke my right. heart. I'm just thinking, here's this, here's this guy after a whole year of playing in the band and he's going to, you know, he's going to go in and play his heart out and then he's going to listen to a, our, you know, the great upper level bands and his mom's not going to be there. She can be there to pick him up, but she can't be there to, to support him. Now there might be extra circumstances, but it still made me think about just how important it is for parents to, to support their kids in, in these wonderful endeavors that we have. Right. Boy, that's a podcast in and of itself. I know. Um, well, the second question that I wanted to ask that I think people would be really interested in and shocked almost to hear, uh, talk about Marian Catholic in 1976 or night, you know, t- tell them about what it was like the year before Greg Bim came. Um, well, I'm not sure how it was before I came, but when I got here, we had a, about 53 or 54 kids in the band, um, somewhere like that. And, um, they hadn't, well, the, the, the level of performance was pretty low. Now we, we did have some kids who were good players. There were, um, a handful of kids who were really strong players, even by, by our measure today. Um, but overall the band's, uh, size and perception of what was acceptable, both as behavior, um, and as, uh, musical standards was really not strong at all. Um, I, we used to, I guess a case in point, as far as, is how the, the kids, what their perception was, um, we used to do home, our home football games were actually held across town at the local public school. And we would all have to drive ourselves there because the school being a Catholic school couldn't afford to bus us there. And so all the kids would get in their cars and I would have to make like four or five trips back and forth through the neighborhoods just to make sure that the kids were not doing anything that was uh, perhaps illegal um, on the way to or from. And uh, the, the culture changed for sure. And, and those kids that were those wonderful players in the beginning um, um, were a key to that. They were the sort of the seeds to, to the things that were to happen later. But it was um, it was very, very challenging. We didn't have um, equipment per se. I remember that that our percussion when I when I came to Marion, the um, um, it was just at the beginning of, of the what we now call quads or quints. Uh, back then were were called timp toms and literally they were they were triple drums that were huge just massive and we had one set of those um and i needed another person to play and something like that and so um i found an old set of rototoms which are you know well they they're just called rototoms they're little single head things that spin and you can change the pitch and i mounted them on a two by four and um used some stuff that I got from the hardware store to strap it to the kid who was carrying it and used that as the second quote, Tim Tom. We did the same thing with, uh, um, our bell set. It was a, an old bell wire. I mounted that on a two by four with the same kind of, uh, strap hookup across the shoulder so that we could have things that at least appeared to be what, um, uh, the, the going standard was for the day. And so everything was, was pretty, um, piecemeal just you know putting things together a little bit at a time so i love that you still have the same the first drum major podium at marion yes, catholic which is basically <laughs> a box that you and a parent made um and it's it, it you know if anybody ever gets a chance to go to marion 
they should go through. Now, it, the the memorabilia may be piled up in the back or moved out of the way for uniforms <laughs> to be somewhere, but it is pretty incredible to see some of the great things that are that are there. Um, I think that honoring the history of that school has been uh, really important and has made me think about things a bit differently in my own job today. Um, well, I want to keep going because, man, I can I can go down the rabbit hole pretty far on any of these questions. So I, Jeff's got to make sure I don't go too far. I'll try. Um, <laughs> what are some what are some critical decisions and changes that made Marion grow and develop? You know, you're coming into that kind of situation, as many people do coming into a situation where it's not really what you want it to be. What were some of the things you did early on and maybe those first three years that you felt like laid a really good foundation? Well, well, some were just simple choices that, you know, like the first choice, I didn't change too much the first year. I made one major change, um, and and it was a, a system that they were using for grading that was all based on playing things, these exercises perfectly. And it, it worked really well for some of the kids. But, for instance, I had a trumpet player who was, his embouchure was just – Cashed. And so he had to go through an embouchure change. Well, in going through the embouchure change the year before I got here, he flunked the class because he couldn't play anything. And so we just, we, we simply adjusted uh, that kind of rule. We didn't do any competition the first year. We just, I just kind of I've held tight to things. Um, there was some early on, there were some uh, opportune moments that I, I was lucky enough to stumble into, I guess. Um, the Marion didn't have study halls before I got here. After my first year, they decided they were going to have study halls. And so I, I jumped on that in two different ways. One, I made it so that students could come and practice during their study hall with study hall passes. And the second thing was I convinced the school to, um, to give the, I had two bands at the time and I, I convinced the school to give the second band their study hall during the time of the first band. Um, and that sounds a little bit complicated, but what it meant was during the marching season, the second band could perform with the top band in, as, a, as the marching band. And then as soon as the season was over, we could split back into two separate concert bands. And we still have that system. Our, our freshmen are still living under that same system here 41 years later, where they have a study hall that is scheduled with the older kids. And in the case of the, the freshmen, it means that they can play in the upper level band. It, can, it means that they are accessible to the older students for mentoring, but it also means during the marching season, they can participate with the older kids in marching band. Um, and so there was some of that. Uh, there were some things that, that um, uh, I'll, I'll use an example that, that is, is um, pretty extreme, but it, um, there was an example of, of setting a standard that wasn't going to bend, I guess is the best way to put it. And yeah. before I, before I tell the story, uh, um, it's important to realize that, that this is a, a, a really aggressive move. And um, in, in, if, if all the things were in the right place, it could be, um, it could have turned out to be a negative thing just with, it could backfire. The, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the that's the easiest way to put it. We we had handed out our uniforms, and I specifically we didn't have many uniforms, and so it was a, a tight fit to get everybody in. Um, and so I we started with the largest students and started fitting the larger uniforms down to the smaller uniforms because you can fit a small person in a big uniform, but you can't fit a big person in a small uniform. 
And so everybody was supposed to have been there by a certain time. And there was one student who decided to ignore that. And so everything was assigned and there was no wiggle room in this relatively um, one of the larger students in band all of a sudden didn't have a uniform. And so it was the end of a Saturday. We were supposed to, everybody was supposed to go home. So their cars, their parents waiting for them. And we, that's when we found out about it. And I just said, okay, everybody to the gym. And so the entire band went down into the gym with our uniforms and we refit the entire band <laughs> from the top down wow. so that we could get that person. And, and, uh, you know, it, I guess there's, you know, one way to look at it is it made that person feel pretty bad, but it also, it made everybody realize that the, the actions of, of one person can negatively affect a whole bunch of other people. And so, it, you know, there was a lesson to be learned on a bunch of levels, but it was also um, justifiable because we had to. I mean, we, we had to get the uniforms out, and that was the only way to do it. And so um, there were some parents who were um, not happy with the decision, but, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, it just had to be that way. But the the thinking behind it was not to ridicule a student. It was to no. make sure that every student had the ability to have a uniform. So yeah, exactly. And you know, if, if that person hadn't gotten the uniform, then they would have failed the class or not been able to participate. So they needed that, that person needed a uniform, and that just slid everybody down the down the line. So. The interconnected nature of the Marion band was, I mean, it was so palpable from day one when I got there. Everybody knew that your actions affected other people's actions. And that was a thing, you know, that was, I think that was made maybe one of the major lessons that I wanted to take to Wando when I got there was the interconnection of everybody. Cause when that's there, a lot of really incredible things can happen. So uh, that's, that's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, Bobby, can speaking, I comment on that real quick? Yeah, I go actually, for it. I actually called Greg maybe like three years ago. I needed a woodwind tech for, you know, I, I, I run the marching band track at the summer symposium for BOA and I really needed a woodwind tech. And I, I called Greg, I remember this and he answered and he said, Oh yeah. Hey Jeff, how's it going? Uh, and I, I gave, I told him what I needed and he goes, Jeff, we don't have woodwind techs. We, we have like two directors and a percussion instructor and a guard instructor. You know, he's like, we do all this in house. And I was just like floored. I couldn't believe. And then, and he talked to me, Greg, you talked to me about all the different ways that you use students to help with sectionals and all these things. And I just, I, I almost felt embarrassed that I'd called and asked you that because it's like, if you're doing all this stuff with students, how come the rest of us haven't figured this out? Well, there, you know, there, there's, there's more than one way to, to look at it. I, I am sold on student leadership, absolutely sold, just because of the way that, that um, well, there, there are a number of sides. When a, when a student is involved in, the, in the, the teaching part of the process, they get really invested, you know, because it's, it's a reflection of them and their job when the whole section is doing things. Um, and there's a, you, you can't underestimate how much a person learns when they start teaching. And anybody who's a teacher, if you just look back to your first year as a teacher and think about how much you learned that you didn't know coming out of college, it's the same thing with the students. Absolutely. And so it's, uh, it, it is a, a really big thing that I'm, I'm very sold on. And that's 
that's how it, it has been able, how it's been able to work here and how we've been successful for so long. But there's also, you know, there's a, there's a side too that, that, um, not everybody has this, this, the same setup. I, 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 people, some people have more opportunities or more, um, uh, the ability to have more people, you know, there, when I came up with the idea about the student leadership, it was uh, around 1982 when LJ Hancock brought his, uh, wonderful Norwin band to summer nationals. And I just remember watching LJ standing on the, the, the step of a bus pointing to people saying, okay, clarinets, you're going with Mr. So-and-so flutes, you're going with Miss So-and-so that kind of thing. And every section had a person. I was like, boy, we don't have that. You know, and it, uh, it's one thing I, I could have used that as an excuse, I guess, you know, or I, uh, but it was just a, a thing where, okay, if we can turn this around and, and, uh, um, get students involved in the same thing where um, one person like at that time I was the only director and so I couldn't be in all places at one time so basically um, our students became our staff and they you know worked with me in getting things done that's amazing I think that one of the things that people when we talk about stuff uh, are kind of floored by, and I think this will lead us into the the next question. That leads us into the the thought about student leadership, and I think you know I just actually was on Facebook before we talked, and a person posted a thing in Band Director saying they posted their leadership uh, team for next year, and several kids are upset. And we we try to be really careful at Wando of of setting kids up for knowing what's going to happen so that the announcement isn't too big of a surprise, but you can't always do that. And I remember my time at Marion, we didn't really post a leadership team. It just was understood. If you are the principal player in symphonic band or the oldest or the highest seated senior, you were going to be the section leader. And that was a, that was kind of an understood thing. And Greg, I think, you know, to, to talk about how a typical rehearsal begins and sometimes ends with student leadership rather than director, I think would be really important here. I don't know if I've ever heard you talk about that. Uh, and I think people would be really surprised that uh, the band directors never begin a rehearsal at Marian Catholic concert or marching. Do you want to talk about kind of why you set that up or how you set that up? <laughs> well, it, 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 if you um, just from uh, uh, throwing a, a, a little philosophy out there, if, if, um, if you're going to to say that the students are leaders, then they need to truly be leaders. They need to have responsibility. That makes the leadership real. It makes it it adds value to what they're doing, as opposed to just being a um, a shadow uh, a puppet or something like that. Um, what happens though is when the students are working together, there's um, a sincerity to their effort. I think maybe is the best way to put it. When the section is getting together and they're working, it's not it's not an, an adult on the outside saying, "Okay, let's get to work now." It's students choosing to get to work. Now it is a protocol. I mean, they're going to do that. It's not they don't sit and have a um, a core or try to find a quorum so they can decide when to start. They they know when to start, but it is their their decision when to, to start. So our rehearsals are always the warm ups are done by our section leaders in sections. Um, when we come in with symphonic band, um, our freshman band starts. Uh, it's the same thing. Even we started with our freshman, with our cadet band. That's the freshman. 
Um, the protocol is they come in, they get set. There are all school announcements that go on. The principal gets on the air, does all school announcements. An upperclassman in the room takes role. And then any one of the students, any one of the freshmen can count off for this warm-up series that I have. And they take care of all that. And that takes, honestly, like the first 10 minutes of, of, the, of the, the period. With symphonic band, it's, it's the same kind of thing. They do a, um, a series of major, all 12 major and minor scales. And then they do a solely solo thing that, that we just started doing this year, where we travel around the band and, and trade those same scales off one at a time. Um, but it's all run by the students so that they're invested. It's not me coming out and and pushing them along. And and there because of that, I think there's uh, there tends to be a little bit more integrity to at least the um, their motivation on the field, I think. I can remember so many people wanting to come to Marion to watch. And I said, you know, the thing that you need to see is the first 15 minutes and the last five because, and, and that was the thing that I wanted so quickly at Wando, but it, it took a while to get us there. But that idea of student investment in other students, it wasn't, yes, it always, you know, about the performance and the playing, but those, those leaders would, would be very intense about their freshmen growing and getting better. And, you know, I, it, it took me a while to realize, oh, that's not what everybody does. <laughs> and and so it was it was a, an eye opening event. And, and we have really wonderful kids at Wando. They just weren't necessarily thinking about it in those terms. So I think that getting the students to find ways to care about each other. You know, if I if I had to say what's the secret at Marion, that may be it. Like the, the kids there genuinely care about each other which makes the product all the more special and all the, the higher quality for sure. Um, so that's really cool. How does that, um, how does that work in terms of, obviously they're not going to have the ears that a trained, um, you know, uh, teacher would, um, is it, is it more about, you know, just, Hey, let's just get the, let's get things started. Let's have the students get things started here. But then the comments are going to come from the teacher. Is that, is that mainly how that happens? No, they, they, they actually run rehearsals. Like wow. they're, they all do. of their sectionals are run by the kids and we, we're, we are really just, um, resources for them. So you where we train them the, in how to have good ears and what to I, I think they, what to... it's a, it's a, an us training, but it's also a them learning. Um, you know, as opposed to us saying, do this, do this, do this. It's more a matter of them saying, okay, how does this work? What do I need to do? And that, that pursuit helps now to be absolutely honest there, you know, there are all levels of this. There are some section leaders who need a little bit more, um, attention, like they need a little bit more guidance or they just need a presence. Um, but the, the mechanics are as different as all of society. It's pretty interesting. If I think back, I had a, a trumpet, a, a trumpet section leader a few years ago who was not, uh, um, if, if he went into a room full of, um, strong willed other guys, um, he would not have been the leader. He was, he was much more passive than that. he's very, very smart. But the reason his section works so well is because he had the support of his squad, the, the squad leaders who were a bunch of um, very aggressive, strong guys who supported <laughs> him. 
and Bobby knows who that, you know, who that is, but <laughs> Bobby and I, Bobby and I have stood on the sideline and watched the sectional. And there have been a couple of times when we've seen section leaders, we just looked at each other and go like, that guy can hear as well as any, you know, or better than most band directors in this state, yeah. you know, cause some of the kids just, wow. they, they are just natural at it. And, and it's amazing to see what they can do. One of the great, um, I mean, one of my favorite memories and it happened multiple times, but two stick out. Uh, we we would often, as we said, the the students would begin rehearsal there. So I remember we had a show problem and we couldn't we couldn't get it figured out. So we had the color guard staff, uh, all two or three of them, uh, and and the three directors were in the office, and we we kind of came up with an idea. And you know, as things go, it's we had to be in there a little bit longer than we'd expected. So I would say we were about. 25 minutes into rehearsal when we got out to the field and there was a kid standing on a light pole, uh, a mellophone player who's now, she's now a band director in Texas and she was running rehearsal. I mean, they were running a drill set and a playing thing that we had been working on for a while. It was exactly what we were going to work on that night. And we walked up and she said, uh, give me a minute. I'm about to get through this. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, okay, one person might look at that and say, oh, the, the audacity of that kid. And I was just standing there going, she, she is devoted to getting that product and those kids exactly where they need to be. If, if we've taught her that we we've done the job that we need. I can remember walking up at one point and uh, the trumpet section leader was standing on the drum major podium with the drum major saying, okay, you, you need to run from set 12 to set 15, take it back and do it again. Drum major took them there. They ran it and he was giving them great feedback. And I remember looking at Greg saying, I would trust them more than many directors that right now. That um, actually brings me back to seventh grade. I think I remember Don Fisher, great band director of mine in middle school. I remember he was late to jazz band one morning and I ran the jazz band rehearsal. There you go. Yeah, I can do this for a little while. Not for the whole time, but yeah, I can get this started. Well, I think the thing that I learned in being away from that was if you, if you give the kids, you know, really specific tasks uh, and, and, and clear time things like at Wanda, we had to really start with, okay, you've got five minutes to get this one thing done. And it took us a while to get that. And then it was, okay, you've got 10 minutes to get these three things done. And now we're getting closer to, okay, you've got 15 minutes. You do what your section needs to do. Um, but it, it's, and it's taken us really about five years to get to that spot. But man, when you do, it is incredibly worth it. Yeah. Um, that's exactly the way that you have to do it. You have to start with little bits at a time. You can't just, and because that's what we did. And when we were starting this whole thing that I didn't just say, okay, you're now the, the trumpet section leader. You're going to run this. I gave them very specific tasks to do Tim, Like in 1984, my trumpet section leader was named Tim Kinezer. I'd say, Tim work on this section. Uh, he was, he was one of those extraordinary talents too, that uh, I remember him running this one section of uh, the end of our show that year was a thing called Elgato Tristi. And it had this double tonguey stuff. And Tim ran that mercilessly. And when he was done, it was as clean as a whistle, man. They, they really could play it. So, Yeah. And what, what the other thing that comes from that that I think people would be, you know, would want, but maybe not know how to build it, is we saw several kids who ended up being in those spots, that upper level senior spot or section leader spot, that maybe hadn't been some of the 
the greatest kids that we'd ever had. But when they got into that spot, they had seen so many good leaders before them. They knew they had to step up. Uh, you know, we if you remember Matt, our tenor saxophone player, we had a, a kid who ended up being one of our best section leaders ever. And we didn't even name him as a section leader when the time came. We just sort of said it was to be announced. And we talked to him and said, man, you, you haven't lived up to the standard so far. Um, but if you want this spot, if you want to be, you know, what you're supposed to be, then we'll give you the summer to prove it. And good night. He absolutely did. And, uh, you know, he's actually a comedian in Chicago now being very I successful. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. incredibly successful right now. And I, I, I think to those times of what if he hadn't had that in his life to make him great, you know, he may not be playing tenor saxophone anymore, but he's in a, he's in the entertainment <laughs> world and he knows what it means to stand in front of people and have to demand their attention and that's I, I love seeing some of our leaders and what they're doing now and i just think that that's one of the things that if if you aren't really involving students in your program i don't think that you can have a complete program i, I gotta stop you right there bobby i think you and greg and i don't know you know how you guys did this but you can say that all day long, but there are a hundred thousand band directors out there who need specific instructions on how to do that. Because, you know, we have visual techs at Carmel and we turn them loose and then we got to pull them back in. Hey guys, you know, what we're asking you to do here is not talk for 20 minutes. We're asking you to short, simple sentences, get some easy stuff done here. Mm. And I think you guys have done such an amazing job with, with training your students on what they're supposed to be talking about and how long they're supposed to be talking about it. I just think that's amazing. Are those texts adults? No, I'm talking about like student visual okay. texts, okay. you know, um, one of the, one of the things that happens, the reason I brought up the thing about adults is young teachers. A lot of times are trying to um, expound when you said they talk too much. Um, I, I, I think that there are times when when um, a person who's who's coming in to help with a rehearsal is doing it um, in the mirror, you know, like they're doing it so that they can hear themselves make these corrections and yeah. watch themselves become great at that. And um, that's an upside down mentality. You know, the, the, the sole reason you stand there and try to help is because you care about the kids and care about the process and care about the product. And if you short circuit that some way, you can get into it. But yeah, absolutely, you you need to, to go very specifically. And and it really, Bobby did give you the roadmap when he, what he said was you just start with small bits and say work on this for this short amount of time, and then come back. And by that, you're 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 also identifying, especially if you say it in front of the the whole trumpet section, for instance, you send the trumpet section away and say you got five minutes. I need you to work on this. You need to play it at least seven more times to make sure that you're, you start slowly and build it or whatever the, the instructions are that fit. You start like that and then you can start to stretch the time. Gotcha. And then once you, once the, once the culture is started, they learn from each other. Like they learn from watching other great section leaders. We've had sections that, that for years live on the, the manna that was left behind by a great section leader. You know, they, they just they did things so well that the next person can just walk in that that same sort of path. And so they learn how to do this by watching wonderful people do it. So that's awesome. I think one of the things that we might just to finish this idea of student leadership, I, I think 
what's great is we really would talk about how the communication cycle would work and what the responsibilities would be. And one of the things that we, we found for maybe not those section leader type folks, but Greg, Greg uses squad leaders. The way he designs drill is every fourth person, which is almost always a senior is a squad leader. And the person right beside them is usually a freshman. And we made that relationship really important, almost like a big brother, big sister thing. And I can remember several times, like, you know, we would tell people, you know, make sure you have your drill masters, make sure you have your marching shoes with you. And if a freshman didn't have them with them at the contest, we didn't really talk to the freshman very much. We brought the squad leader over, that senior who was in charge of them and said, you know, you dropped the ball on this. Ouch. You've got to make sure. It was the idea of... <laughs> For whom uh, little is asked, little is expected. For whom much is asked, much is expected. Uh, it was, and that idea of that growing as you went through the program at all levels. Uh, even, you know, I think for most people, they would say the, the toughest kids to teach in their program are the older students who haven't progressed like they should have. And I see that all over the country, but we never really had that at Marion. I very rarely remember a senior who was a problem. And I think it's because they had to do that, that ownership or that guidance to that younger person. And they knew they were in their eyes all the time. Uh, so I think that if you maybe can't do, or the, 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 you aren't at a place where you're ready for seniors to start running rehearsals or anything, it begins with that. And that was, that was one of the places we began at Wando. I would have uniform checks and I would have all the seniors do that. And like in most places, they were some of our uh, toughest folks to engage with. And when we let them know that their actions really affected those younger folks, even in just getting their uniforms right, it started to make a big difference. So the next thing we want to talk about uh, are some things that you see in the band world today, especially maybe from our newer directors or, or really anywhere. And we're not asking you to call anybody out, but what are some of the common mistakes or misperceptions that you're seeing in the band world today? Like if you could you know, grab everybody and say, hey, you may want to rethink the way your program does this. What are some of those things that you're seeing? Are you talking about for younger younger directors or well, in I would general? S- well, m- maybe there's one of each. What are you seeing in in the band world? Uh, and that's a can of worms for sure. I know that it is. Maybe maybe definitely one of those. What do you typically see first to fifth year directors do that uh, I, can make, slow their growth? I I think there are there are maybe maybe two things um, that would be easy to come up with. One is programming and just. <clears throat> <laughs> thinking about what the kids really can play um, and what they really should play. Um, it's, it's one of those things when you, when you just get out of school, you're, you, you are by the nature of your age, you're pretty limited with how many things you actually know and what you can, what you can pick from. But um, it's really important to evaluate the entire band and, and choose the things that are going to, work for the band, but also stretch because I see the, the mistakes are made on both sides. The, you know, I'll talk to young band directors sometime about their, their marching show and they'll, they'll say, Oh, we couldn't possibly do this. Or we couldn't possibly do this. We could. And, and they set their limits a little bit low. 
probably the more often the mistake is too big. You know, somebody will have played something in, in college or in, in an extremely strong high school program. And they feel like that's, that's the right choice for their group. And, and it really is not, you really need to look at, at every strength. Like um, when we program, when I program for even the symphonic band, well, especially the symphonic band, I, I evaluate now it, because I, I, I'm here, I don't have to, I, if you want to know, I can tell you what my sections are like right now, but uh, it's it's part of an evaluation of what I have and what they really can do, what spot we can put them in. Um, a, a lot of times you can you can put a student in a place where no matter how much they practice or how much you encourage or even whatever push on them, they're not going to achieve stuff. Sometimes it's a, a range thing for an instrument or um, a person shouldn't be the soloist. If, a, if you're, if you have this piece that you dearly love that has um, um, a beautiful oboe solo, but you don't have a beautiful oboe player, maybe there's a, maybe there's something else to think about, but it, it it's a very complicated sort of thing. And, and you have to look at um, all aspects of the tune. A lot of times uh, young band directors will, will grab onto a tune that they think is beautiful or whatever. And they, and they think that it's, that they don't understand its difficulty. Like they haven't really looked at the inside to say, Oh, this is going to take a whole lot more. And so just um, taking a lot of time to program and talk to, to people who have been around for a while. You know, the, um, if you, if you talk to a band director who's been, you know, in the trenches for a number of years, they both, they understand the dynamic of that, but they'll also have, um, a repertoire of, of potential things, potential pieces to use. Um, the second thing that I would say for young directors is just uh, being impatient. It, it, when we were talking about my first year at Marion, I, I specific, was specific in saying, I remember not trying to change too much. Um, you have to be patient in order to establish all of the groundwork. Sometimes by being too impatient, you make mistakes by overreaching or um, creating a circumstance where you're, you're actually doing damage to um, uh, the, the trust or respect that people have in the program or you. And so uh, uh, you have to be willing to, to go slow and just really think things through. Expect people to say no. Um, one of the things that, that uh, I remember specifically, I, I often felt my first few years here that, that um, the administration wasn't really on my team because they would have a question. I'd come in and say, I'd like to do this. And they'd say, well, we don't think that that's going to work because, and they'd, they'd have questions or they would just simply say, no, we can't do that right now. And it, it felt to me like they were throwing up roadblocks. But the real truth is um, I was young and they were, they, were, they were looking at the possible problems that I hadn't yet seen. Or they didn't understand that maybe I, I could get past those. But the, the bottom line is you have to be patient enough to hear the no's and to just keep working with them. Um, after a while, it got to be a place here where they knew that, that my priorities were right, that I, I planned things the right way, that I took care of all of the details. And I, when I go and ask for something or talk to the, the administration about something, I'd always make sure that I had all those answers already. But it, it takes a while before you you really understand the dynamic of your school to be able to to do that. And so my, I think those would be my the, the two big things for a young teacher 
um, well, there's one more, I guess, but um, is programming and being patient with allowing the program, you know, nothing grows, um, nothing with wild grows that fast. Um, but the, the third thing, of course, is sometimes um, you have to look in a mirror and remember that you're actually there for the kids. And it is all about teaching. It's not about a trophy. It's not about um, um, winning something. It's not about looking like um, the best uh, uh, maestro on the planet or anything like that. It's, it really is about the experience that the kids are going to, to have and what they're going to learn during the time that they're with you. And that, that runs into advice for the or concerns that I have for um, uh, more experienced teachers, you know, because that's when the those problems can really arise, I think. Um, the pressure on all of us to achieve and to have a really strong, good product is is very high. And, and uh, depending on the program, it can be like off the charts kind of high. And, and it's a real temptation to forget what we're here for. Um, the real truth is, is that we're here for this one year that we have or each single year that we have with the students and what they're going to take with them um, after having been a part of our program for that year. Um, and what they're going to take with them is not simply, well, we won a trophy or, well, we played this piece. That, that is part of the memory. But that's not the whole thing. The whole thing is how they felt in a rehearsal at some point. Like I still believe that some of the most musical moments I've ever experienced at Marion were in a rehearsal in this little, our old band room, we call it. It's a 40 by 40 room that um, you play into a corner. But we have played some incredible music over there that was, we just were inspired that for that one single rehearsal. Um, and so uh, remembering what the center is, I think, is an important thing for all levels. Um, one of the things that I, I think, I may step on a couple of toes here, but you know, um, as okay. I watch, as I watch band directors who are, have been around and they have even really good programs, you know, it's sometimes incredibly good programs. And I, I listen to what they play and watch, uh, you know, just from the outside, um, what they're performing. And I, I don't believe that they, um, that they have spent enough time, with the music and it's not like they they don't hold it together or they don't give the right cue or anything like that i'm sure some of them practice all of that stuff but there's a certain there's a there's a level that that when you live with a score long enough and hard enough that there's an understanding that 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 filters through i think um and sometimes even even top level guys you know um, do the same thing you'll you'll watch them do something and you go like he doesn't really know that or she doesn't really know that or, you know, how did they miss that phrase? Um, that's not getting a little bit aggressive with it. But um, years and years ago, when I was a student, um, I did a, um, a research paper on Ravelli and my my band director or the he was actually the music department chair at Western at the time. Uh, Chris Eisler knew Ravelli pretty well. And so he said, why don't you just talk to him? And so I got to have a you know, a, a pretty extensive conversation on the phone um, with Ravelli. And, and one of the things that he said is, is the, the specific phrase was wear the seat of your pants out studying your scores. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of <laughs> thought I knew what he meant. Um, 
but now I think I have a different perspective on what he meant. You know, it's, it's one thing to know how all the parts fit and what's important and where the flaws might be and like um, what notes are, you know, like this chord's going to be hard to tune because that throat A on the clarinet is, you know, can be anything yeah. or whatever. Um, it's, it's one thing to know that, but it's another thing to have completely assimilated the score or assimilated the music so that um, there's a reason that one note, there's a reason for the way that you make one note go to the next note. And maybe that's overbroken down, but it's, um, I, I think sometimes in our quest to see how much we can do, um, we forget that side of things. You know, and we being all of, you know, the, the the band director folk, not just high school guys either, college guys too. If you look carefully, you'll find that. Greg, I got to see this uh, both as a fan, you know, and as a coworker this year with, you know, both my kids are in the top wind ensemble. And I got to see that process happen, not only with Connor and Tyler in the sax and trumpet section, but with Kyle Young and Mike Pote as the directors. And, you know, I got to see these three amazing pieces happen over the course of six months. And then, you know, last week I see their final performance of it. And I, I'm proud of Tyler. I'm proud of Connor. I'm proud of Kyle. I'm proud of Mike. I'm looking at all these people going, there's been growth of all the directors and the students in that process. It is, it is um, one of the, the most, well, for me, it's one of the most rewarding things when you, when you really feel like, like, um, like uh, the, the phrase that I want to use is you got it all. There's a, um, uh, a movie with, uh, Kevin Costner where he's a golfer, um, uh, called tin cup. And he's trying to hit this incredibly long, uh, shot from the, the, um, uh, from the fairway. And, um, it's sort of towards the end of the movie and he, he hits a, what appears to be a great shot, but he looks over his, his cat, he was his friend. And he says, I didn't get it all. And there have been numerous times for me, no matter how hard I try that I finish something, I go like, man, I don't think I got it all. And other times when, when I really feel like, okay, that was it. That was, that was the one. Yeah. So it's an ongoing process, but it's also a big, part of the reward of, of what we do from, from the, the um, artistic side, as opposed to the educator side. Um, it's worth the, the investment of time for sure. I think one of the, one of the things that, you know, and just hearing you talk about this, what <laughs> it was a major frustration and now a major uh, vote of confidence and thanks. Uh, you know, I would rehearse the second band at Marion in that band room he was just talking about surrounded by every trophy known to man uh, of which I had nothing to do with any of them. And Greg's band would be right across the hall in the new band room playing something. And I would, I, I would remember, you know, man, we're sounding pretty good. And somebody would open the door and I would say, Oh crap, <laughs> we're not even close. Uh, but the thing that the thing that I, I bring that up is, because I wanted Greg to come over and watch me and give me feedback and you know, all the things that I think that a lot of young directors really get in the habit of when you're in, in college. I mean, you can't do much without getting somebody's opinion about something. And Greg, would he would never come into a rehearsal. I don't think he ever really saw me rehearse the concert band more than a few minutes in the 13 years we were there. 
Uh, and it was all about, you have to figure this out for yourself. Uh, you have to do the work. Uh, nobody, some people can kind of give you some shortcuts, but you're the one that's going to have to really make this go if it becomes um, valuable enough to you. And it, man, that, that has hit me several times, especially with student teachers that you know, I can tell you stuff, but that's not going to really make it go for you. You've got to find those answers. And, you know, I'm here to kind of help you miss some potholes, but uh, uh, it's, it, that's very cool to get to hear. And I, I hope that people well, listening will get that. I, you know, I, I always wanted to, to well, I, I, I didn't want to get in the way, you know, cause you know, for me, anybody in the room is a distraction. Um, like somebody looking over my shoulder, um, I have people come in and watch and stuff, you know, like people will come in and sit, like to, to visit and, and I, and we do that, but any, anything, um, that distracts me personally from just boring into the music without, without any other distraction, um, is a problem in, for me personally, that's just my own thing. But one of the reasons that, you know, first of all, you were really good at what you did. So I, I didn't have to worry, but but the, the big thing too is I, you know, if I come in, I change the dynamic, you know, yeah. um, uh, and, and so I never wanted to do that. Yeah. Well, speaking of being in a, being Greg Bim's assistant, uh, that's, that's <laughs> open right now for the right <laughs> yeah. person. And I, you know, I remember going through that process those years ago and thinking, this is not at all what I thought <laughs> job interview or that that interview process was going to be. Um, so, you know, you're getting ready to go through that process right now. And I know I know how that that works, but I think a lot of people would be surprised at things that like your Sunday school teaching experience is important. Your, uh, you know, how much you know about the movie Blazing Saddles is important. Um, you, you know, so so why don't you tell people like when you are now going through this process again, what are some of the things that you're really looking for? Well, there's the obvious stuff that that you know you evaluate from you know, all the stuff that gets turned in, like experience and you know where the where their background is and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. And all that is is um, relatively quantifiable, I guess. And and you know, if somebody doesn't have um, the right kind of experience, you know, for us, um, it's a it's a very broad set of experiences. I guess it's not unusual for um, the high school thing, but you know, specifically, um, one of the things for the fall, is, you know, for us is the marching part of the thing, and and. Um, having a really good background with, with movement and things like that is going to, is, is a, a, a part of it, along with being a great musician, all that kind of stuff. But there are, there are, um, I, I don't know what the, the word is, but on, on the, the non-definable sort of things that talk about or that tell who a person is, maybe I can, um, I'm, I'm department chair here. And so I was in on some interviews um, for our art teacher, uh, we were replacing an art teacher as well. And, and, um, uh, there was a person who just had all kinds of experience and, um, they were obviously smart as a whip and, and they just had all, you know, every, every little thing was in its right place. Um, but when we, we got finished, 
um, we were the principal and I and, and it, you know, the, the rest of the, the uh, administration were talking about who it might be. And they were bringing up how great this person was and how their lesson plan was this and all that. And I just said, but they don't have any passion. And they stopped and looked at me. And I said, well, I asked them who their favorite artist was. And mm. when when the person talked about their favorite artist, there was no passion. They, they had a favorite artist. And they have it, you know, with the art people, I asked them their favorite medium um, and they had a favorite medium. But um, if you uh, if you asked when I when I asked the question, what I was hoping to see was um, I wanted to see their blood boil. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to see them <laughs> their eyes light, light up. up with with. Yeah. yeah. Like this is this is why I do this, because, you know, this and, and you know, if you. Um, if you uh, get me talking about literature, that's it's going to be the same thing. We could go on for a long, long time. Just yeah, I think having, our interview you know, was about two and a half hours, and it was just talking. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and that was one of the questions. It was you know yes. one of the one of the things we talked about was your favorite composer, and um, and it, it it's there's a that tells you something about the musician too. You know what they're what their perception of music is like, but on a greater scale, it, it tells you about the musician, about the human behind the musician. And so uh, the big thing for me is, is I'm looking for um, that kind of passion along with, you know, somebody who is um, willing to get their hands dirty because, you know, we were laughing. I was laughing. One of the staff members here, you know, cause they, they all know that the band is successful and stuff, but they don't understand how much trench warfare there is, you know, it's, it's, it's like, and I, and I don't mean with anybody else. I mean, just in our own system here, it's not like, not like competition is trench warfare. It, the, the, the trench warfare is here every day with trying to get the answer to how we can get the trumpet section to do this or play this, this way, or even finding out what this way is. Um, and so it, 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 and then solving all of the, all of the ongoing things that happen, you know, um, Susie has just decided that, um, she now loves lacrosse so much that she couldn't possibly do anything else with her life. And so instead of being principal Lobo, she's going to be principal goalie, (laughs) you know, And yeah, and and those, but the, the numbers of those stories are, they're ongoing and they are daily. You know, it's it's um, it's a constant it's a constant effort to to move forward. And and what I particularly look for is somebody who loves it enough to do that. You know, and that's why Bobby and I got along so well, because, you know, Bobby is a workhorse and you know, <laughs> I can't do much, but I can go paint some fields and paint some tarps. It's all that. It's 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 everything that you have to do. You know, and yeah. I, I was talking to a student the other day and, and they were asking me, you know, sort of a similar sort of question. I said, you know, I, I don't know that I have any talent. I don't know that I have anything. But and I and I certainly didn't know that when I was starting at Marion. And I, I simply said when I came to Marion, the only promise that I could make to myself is I could work so hard that nobody could work harder. I, I said, I don't know that, I, that, that, I, that somebody couldn't work as hard, but if I worked as hard as I possibly could, that was the only single thing that I have control over. And that's the, that's the one thing that I have lived up to for 40, whatever years it is. I've worked as hard as I possibly could. 
That's amazing. So I think it's yeah, think it's one it, of those things shows. where I think anybody out there listening, if you're saying, well, maybe I don't have enough experience, or maybe I don't have enough anything, or whatever, uh, you know, with with most great jobs, it really is about the passion and the willingness to do whatever it takes to bring that passion to life. And I remember, you know, being very scared walking in there and saying, uh, I've never done drum corps before, so I don't really know what I'm doing. But I can talk to you about the Stravinsky Octet all day long, and I can talk to you about some saxophone stuff, and I can, you know, I, I will stay here as long as it takes to get, you know, measure 86 of Chester, that stupid hard trumpet lick. Um, I will do whatever it takes to make that go. Uh, yeah, there's just there's this really hard measure in Chester that just, I mean, it's brutal. Greg and I know we know it. <laughs> yep. We know it well, and uh, we'll. I'll do whatever. And I think that you know that's that's one of the coolest things about Marion and and really these greatest places. I don't think anybody espouses to be you know the guru or the 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 voice, you know, the oracle there. It's more just um, you you have to do if you are a person with excuses, you probably will never have a great program. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, all of this has been just wonderful. And, uh, you know, for anybody listening, uh, you you definitely want to uh, check out Marion, check out the uh, if you're interested, check out the job, because it, it is a thing where it will change the way that you teach forever um, and and really set you on the path to being a great teacher and, and working with a great teacher day in and day out. Greg, you know you know how I feel about you. You're godfather to my children and all that good stuff. Yeah. But I have a always... good story about that too. I, there's this guy that I worked with for years at Carmel, Scott Whitford, and he was a great teacher and, and he came and spent a bunch of time with Greg. And then we came back and we taught together last summer. And I was like, how are you like a hundred thousand times better teacher? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I, okay, it's gotta be Greg. I don't know. Yeah, it it really is. It, it, uh, I, I I've know. never talked with anyone quite the same, um, and I I don't I don't even know where I begin and Greg begins in my teaching anymore. And I love it. You know, if, awesome. if I hear Greg's voice come out of me often, and that's when I know I'm probably doing it right. Um, so you I, know, uh, I have a final question for Greg and. Uh, we like to give homework on this podcast and I know, um, you know, we've kind of put you on the spot here, but if you could give a band director young or old, some homework for the next week, you know, it's, it's almost June. We're about to go on summer vacation. If you could give a band director homework, what would you say right now? What I would say is go find a score and study it. <laughs> I know that that sounds overly simple, but I mean, really study it. I mean, sing through it and know, um, everything that's there, know how it works, know how it, how it feels when it's singing. Um, there are a couple times when, when, um, uh, I was at a convention a, a number of years ago and, and, uh, um, I'm going to even forget who it was now, but, uh, and, and, uh, a retired guy, um, conducted, um, banks and berets and, uh, mm. Uh, it was just incredible. And it, it, the thing that was incredible about it was he knew exactly what it should say and, and exactly how it should move, exactly the right pace. Um, and the, actually, the same thing happened with Bob Reynolds at, at Midwest two years ago when he did First Suite. 
um, I was in absolute awe just because um, it, not all the, the Tempe were exactly what I would do necessarily, but um, for his perception, it was so strong and, and so well-defined and so well thought out. I was completely enthralled for the, and I, I've heard the, I've heard the piece, you know, like many of us a gazillion times, but it was just amazing um, how well he knew what he wanted the piece to be, not just how the piece was, but what he wanted it to be. And, and so my homework would be go find a score and make it your friend. <laughs> well, um, so Greg, favorite piece. What's your favorite piece? Persichetti six, the symphony, yeah. I, I would say. What, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I, that's what I thought. I, I love masquerade too. And when I'm working on masquerade, it's like, um, you know, uh, there's a, a hidden love for that one too, <laughs> but the, the symphony with Persichetti symphony is, it would be the single one. If I, if I had to choose, if I could only conduct one more thing, one more time, that would probably be the one. So, so if you haven't worked on that piece or don't know that piece, go listen to it. Um, and you're going to not like it the first time I didn't. And then I listened to it more and understood it. And now I, I get it. So, so take the time and, and certainly do that. Well, we've kind of come to the end of, of this podcast. Greg, thank you so much for Can we call this oh, thank part you for one. Is, is that okay if we call this part one? Cause we got to get back together. Yeah. I would love to. Yeah, please. It'd be fun. Yeah. Cause yeah, there, there are four questions that we didn't even get close to, uh, <laughs> but I knew that we were going to go down the rabbit hole really pretty far. So, um, well, usually so, I ask a bunch of things of our listeners at the end, but right now I'm just going to say thanks for listening. And until you, next time, I'm Jeff Young. I'm Bobby Lambert, and this has been That Band Life.